0: From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 205. Today is August 6th, 2018, and today's show is brought to you by Casper, Pingdom, and Inboard Technology. My name is Mike Hurley, and I'm joined by
1: Mr. Jason
0: Snell.
1: Hello, Mr. Mike Hurley. It's good to hear your voice.
0: And yours. We are still in the summer of fun summer of fun snell. it feels very yep. summer funny here as we're uh, still 31 degrees celsius 87 degrees fahrenheit today wow. in london but nobody cares about that because that's no. weather talk so we're gonna jump straight yep. into hashtag snell talk. and today's question comes from rob and rob says jason we know that you have and, and you enjoy to use both apple and amazon smart speakers but which one do you use for your many smart home needs
1: Smart home needs is an interesting part of this question, listener Rob. Um, And I got to say, I use, basically for my smart home devices, I'm largely using my phone or a physical remote control. So like my lights, my smart lights in the living room, I've got a remote that sits on on the coffee table. And if I want to dim the lights, I do that rather than go. What is the remote? I've got these uh, Lutron Casita uh, Wi-Fi light switches, right? So the light switch is smart rather than the bulbs, okay. and so it can it's a it can dim and turn them on and off and all of that. And it's a smart switch, and it comes with a remote, and you can get them too. But like it comes with a remote that it's actually one that you can um it's got a it's got like a sticker on the back. You can you can make a fake wall outlet, you know, wall switch for it, but we just leave it laying on the, on the living room uh, coffee table. And so if it's getting dark and you want to turn the lights on, you press the button. If you're starting a movie, you press the off button and, or, or dim the lights. And that all happens from there. And then for a lot of the other stuff too, I, I really am using my, on my phone or my uh, iPad and mostly just flipping down in control center to, to quickly flip something on and off or change the, the dimming or whatever um that's generally what i do so i don't i can say hey lady set the living room to 40 percent." i can do that but i almost never do it's funny because oftentimes we're in a context where it's just it's easier and less disruptive to uh to just press a button or flip down Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. control center on my phone rather than uh shout something out to a canister
0: we mostly use the echo because um the echo 100% ties into everything right where the home pod doesn't always but yeah if we're watching tv or whatever then one of us would grab our iPhones um adina uses the hue app she likes the app um i use con- i use uh, the home toggle and control center
1: oh yeah yeah control center well it's just i mean it's it's the easiest thing you're not looking for an app you're not launching an app you're just flipping down and doing mm-hmm. a couple of taps, and mm-hmm. that, that's that's what I like to do, too. But I know I'm going to be using Siri more come September. Just, yeah, and I keep you know. thinking about it. I was just doing, and this will be for uh, in a little bit, but I was just uh, doing some uh, retraining of my uh, Logitech Smart Remote, and, you know, it'll let you do... Like when you, when you press the button to turn on the TV, it'll also run like a whole thing where it'll change the lighting in your house and stuff like that if you want. And I just looked at that and I was like, no, I, I don't want that. <laughs> like, it's funny. I'm sure that I'll get there. But I, I think one of the challenges with some of this stuff is that the way they sell it to you is they say, well, you can set up a whole scene and it'll dim the lights and it'll do this thing and it'll do that thing. But I think, I think our lives are more um, boring than that. Where it's like, I, mm-hmm. I'm not going to have a special button on the remote that that dims the lights and turns on the TV. And because, you know, we turn on the TV way more than that. And sometimes we, d- we want the lights to stay where they are, right? So mm-hmm. I think some of that stuff is not as practical.
0: But a, a simple one for me. So I have set up um, one series shortcut to set my alarms in the morning. Because I'm, I'm a terrible person sometimes and need th- to be like six different alarms set to make sure that I wake up. Yep. So Siri now sets all of those at once, right? Rather than me going in and setting them all. See, and that's great. So eventually what I will do is once it's all so once Siri shortcuts is up and running on my HomePod is I will create um an action that will be bedtime which turns on bedroom lights, turns off living room lights and sets my alarms. Mm. So, nice. you know, this is the stuff I will be doing a lot more of this once the HomePod gets it because then I will just be able to shout it into the air, which is really what I want to be doing. So, great question from right. Rob. Um, went to some places mm-hmm. that I wasn't expecting. If you would like to open the show uh, with any kind of question, just send in uh, a tweet with the hashtag SnellTalk and it will go into a document to be considered for the future. Um, and we'll move into follow up. Jason, uh, I want to talk about that iPad stand that we were referencing oh, yes. last week, the Tabitha made by Colebrook Bosson Saunders. Um, so, it arrived but I think it's faulty. So let me explain what's going on here. Um, The stand itself uh, has much more weight than the Viason stand whilst having a smaller footprint. So like the the base of it is much heavier. Um, The mechanism that you hold the tablet in is much more secure. It holds it at the corners and it's very adjustable. So you can have this one stand and it could hold anything from a 7-inch tablet to a 12-inch tablet, which is also great. The arm extends way higher, like to the height that I actually want, which I was very, very surprised at. Um, But I have a bit of a problem. So you extend it up and then you turn this little locking nut to lock it, but it's not working properly. So when I extend it to maximum and turn the locking nut, it just keeps spinning. So if I bring it down to about seventy-five percent, it will then lock. I have contacted their customer support. They have told me this doesn't seem like the like the, how this device should work. They said that it should go all the way to the maximum, and they're sending me a new one. Um, I've actually found this support to be brilliant. I, like I've had two separate people from two teams in this company email me. Like one is the customer service, and then one is like the product manager for this product. And so I've been, I'm actually pretty impressed with them so far. I'm going to get the replacement this week. So next week, I'll be able to tell you if it does work the way that it should work. And if it does, I'm very likely to be recommending this because if it does go to the maximum height that it should and locks into place securely, this stand is everything I want. From an iPad, stand. that's
1: great. I, the weight is the big thing for me. Mm-hmm. Where you know the challenge with going higher is that just the physics of it—you now need to, to have more weight down on the bottom. And yep. what I don't want is a wide, like a really wide no. base, and that means you need a heavy base. So this is to keep heavy it from tipping. Or but as shaking. I should say,
0: right, I, I have not been able to use my 12-inch iPad Pro at the maximum height
1: yet. Uh, right, which is going to be the ultimate test mm-hmm. of whether it can uh, hold that thing steady, especially if you. Uh, tap on it <laughs> right because part of what you have to do with an ipad is push it with your finger exactly
0: my simple test was: i put both stands next to each other and push them and the viazon nearly fell over with the push and the tabatha did not yeah. so we'll see i mean hopefully right. i'll be able to report back next week and say that i have found the perfect solution so i feel crossed. like being
1: an ipad user right now the state of the art of the ipad right now apparently is that you have to order a product a couple of times everything's defective like.
0: yeah everything's <laughs> defective all right, let's yep. do some upstream. Uh, we mentioned last week, Jason, that you were getting a new TV. Could you please tell us the most likely inscrutable model number of the television you bought?
1: <laughs> well, the way that most people would probably refer to it is, this is the 2018 TCL. Uh, I think they say R series, uh, 65 inch. Mm-hmm. So it's the 65R617. What's what wrong that with means. television manufacturing?
0: Why can't they give them
1: names? Like actual names, yeah. I I mean, you got to have a code because they've got the different kinds. They've got different levels and all of that. Mm-hmm. But you're right. I I do I do have those moments where I think, can't you give it a fun name and say this is the the 65 inch TCL you know Trailblazer? Well, like 2018 PC, model. PC like,
0: monitors managed to do it right? And computers manage to do it. And it's the same idea, right? You're just saying, this is the product name. This is the size. Like, I don't know why it's so hard for TV manufacturers, but nevertheless.
1: I think, well, I think the right, and that's why I sort of said what the way I generally see people referring to it, especially in in the media is it's the 65 inch Model of the TCL R Series uh, 2018 Edition. So it's you know the model year is 2018. The manufacturer is TCL. The size is 65 inches, and then they have some different series in terms of uh, picture quality. And this is the R Series, which is the um, this is the wire cutters' best TV. Pick. My last word, year, the-
0: that is an incredible price for a 65 inch
1: TV. Ah, uh, right. So wow. it's it's the it's in the uh, sub 1000 category. Which makes me laugh because it's $999.97. <laughs> hey, it's, it works. It works. I, I, I was thinking of buying the TV and then I saw that it was $0.03 under a 1000 and I went, oh, well, if I'm no. saving those $0.03, then it's <laughs> no, a perfectly reasonable purchase. But, you know, that's why, a lot of money.
0: $1,000 $1, is a lot of money. But a 65-inch 4K television for $1,000, that seems really good to me.
1: Yeah, it's a pretty good, pretty good deal. I we previously had a fifty-inch TV, and I had that moment where I thought, um, and it wasn't an HDR, and I, I and it had some ba- weird backlighting problems. It was it was an emergency TV bought because our previous TV, I was kind of you know playing a wait and see game with with four uh, K and HDR, and our old TV, which was an LG, um, it just died. Mm -hmm. one day, like literally it just ceased to function. And so we went to Costco and bought a TV and that TV was fine, but it had issues um, including like a weird, weird kind of bright spot grid in the upper left-hand corner. It was not great. It was not great. And so this is the, this is the replacement for that. And I'm very happy with it so far. Um, It's a pretty good deal. It is, like I said, the wire cutter pick. And I decided that I wanted the bigger TV that if I was going to get into 4k, video stuff in the, in my living room, like a bigger TV really was necessary. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I thought about the 55. Um, and then, and my, so my, my mom has a really big plasma TV that they bought like 10 years ago. And I always think of it as the enormous TV that's in the living room in Arizona. And it's a beautiful t- I mean, it's, it's plasma, which means that it's it throws off heat and it's got fans blowing out hot air and it's crazy, but It is a beautiful picture, and uh, I always think of it as the giant TV, and I think it's a 60-inch TV. (laughs) I would expect that its physical footprint is larger, right? It's much larger because mm. it has huge bezels because it's ten years old. It's got huge bezels and it's very thick. And this is not like that. No. So the screen size of this though is bigger than what I always thought of as the gigantic screen. on Yeah, that we TV, have which is funny.
0: a forty-inch uh, Panasonic TX-40DX700B as everybody is oh, yeah. well, you know, very familiar with Good that model. Good stuff. Mm-hmm. And I really wish we'd gone bigger. Like, look, you know, we were we were apprehensive. Yeah. We were like, oh. It's gonna to be too big. We're not gonna have the space. It's gonna dwarf the room. And it's like it's fine, but we have a lot of space for a bigger TV. So next time we'll probably I'll probably next go time. to like fifty-five or something. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah, it, it's a uh it's it's a big change, but uh, but I like it. And and it was it was a uh I I think pretty good deal at a time when I was ready. Also, I wanted to really be able to talk about and write about um HDR stuff ever since the Apple TV 4K came out, especially. Yep. yep. And uh, my old TV, I really couldn't do that. Like it was, it was weird picture quality and didn't do HDR. And so, on that level, I think like I, I could justify it a little bit more. Plus, I just I really wanted a nice big TV, so now I have one. What is your impression of it? Is it full of junky software? <sighs> full, no, but there's junky so- software on it. So it's a Roku TV. Which means right. that it basically has the equivalent of the Roku streaming box embedded in it, mm-hmm. which is this thing that that there's been some speculation about. Like, would Apple make deals with TV manufacturers to embed Apple TV in TVs someday? Uh, it's an interesting question. Um, the Roku stuff, you know, it's got a it's got a setup uh, assistant thing that works pretty well. Um, there are things about it that I like. Uh, you can, you know, it's, it's pretty customizable. You can set, um, set all sorts of things. Like, uh, the one that really bothered me or worried me was the idea that you were going to be, every time you turn the TV on, you have to navigate through Roku menus. And that's actually not true. You can set on power on, you can set what it, what it does. So you can point it in input and say, when I turn the power on, go to HDMI one and just turn that on like a regular TV and it will, it will do that. Um, it's got a bunch of different picture settings. It ships, this TV ships with, um, as anybody who's listened to John Syracuse to talk about this on his various podcasts over the years, it ships with terrible picture settings as the default. It's it's slightly zoomed. It's got motion smoothing hmm. on.
0: Why would you zoom?
1: Well, w- the way they describe it is to a- avoid kind of annoying things on the edges. I think they're thinking of sort of like in standard deaf TV, how there's like the vertical blanking interval at the bottom. And so you want a little bit of overscan. It's actually like mint- for there to be overscan, but it's a bad idea. Like, you just show me every pixel that is available, please. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and motion smoothing and turning that off and turning the film mode on, so that if it detects twenty four frames per second content, it it properly displays that. And all of those things. I you know what's funny is that the play, the settings are per input and they're also per kind of mode. There's a HDR at least mode and a non HDR mode, which means that um, the first couple of days that I had the TV, I kept uh, setting the settings right and then moving to a different input device or a different mode and suddenly all the settings were wrong again. I'd like, ah, and then I'd set those settings to be right. And then it seems to have settled down now where in all the scenarios that I've been using the TV, I have now properly set the picture settings so that uh, it all works okay. But it, that was a kind of a, a funny moment. It only has um, three HDMI inputs on it, which my old TV had like five. Mm-hmm. So that's a little bit of a, a downer, but I, my uh, home theater receiver has is an HDMI switcher with like four inputs so I can manage to get like all the video game consoles attached and the Apple TV and my DVR. Um, and it all, uh, there's, there's just enough space for all of it, but there is enough space for all of it. So that's good. Um, and the first thing I did was turn off all the, uh, Uh, quote-unquote helpful features, the uh, stuff that you may have read about where they are using, by default, it uses like pattern recognition technology to figure out what you're watching and use that to build a profile of you, which presumably they sell. Presumably Roku sells that. Um, But they also use it to put ads in the uh, the app screen. So I turned all of that stuff off Mm -hmm. immediately. Good. um, Because I'm not interested in any in being a participant in their scheme at all um when you do navigate roku channels like there's like a, a an ad that shows up that's basically for other roku channels or for content that's found on other roku channels that you can add um which i don't like but uh, my tivo sort of does that too and i guess it's just like I, i'm not a fan of that but it's a thing that happens Panasonic do it on our tv we all smart tvs
0: seem to sell ads for like it's so like we we have and i've seen it in the past we actually don't use any of the smart tv apps anymore because the apple tv now has all of the ones like the youtube app used to be better and the prime app used to be better right we use the apple tv for all of it now um yeah and they used to have like amazon prime ads in the main screen
1: Right, right. Yeah, basically they're like, how do you, how do we get these people to use our service and not just watch Netflix? And it was like, hey, <laughs> we've got ads in Roku that say, don't use Netflix now, use Amazon Prime instead. But, and they add, you know, Roku by default has a bunch of junky channels that they add that I removed and I, I slimmed it down to a very limited number because the fact is that for the most part, we will be using the TiVo or we'll be using the Apple TV, um, which gets us just about everything. There are a couple um there are a couple exceptions to that, but pretty much that's the that's all we really need. Um, and so I removed just about everything else from it. So, uh, but I, I like, I mean, the idea of having uh, one of these TVs, I, and this is not my first experience with a Roku TV. First off, with Roku, I've been using Roku stuff. I, I had the first net Netflix box before it was even branded as Roku. It was just the Netflix box, if you can imagine that. Uh, that was the first hardware player that did netflix um and my uh we my mother-in-law got a new tv last summer and we or last fall and we went and bought it and it was uh it was the it was the last year's TCL um 55 inch and so it's also a Roku tv and um and so i've been through it before it's pretty good i mean enough enough to make me think i wonder if it is worth apple making deals with some Partners to get Apple TV on board. I don't know. I mean, I feel like the complexity of what Apple's trying to do with Apple TV, what the costs are in getting involved with TV manufacturing and all those things, it may not, it may just not be worth doing. And that's why we don't see it. But Roku has really, you know, they are a little company that has uh, grabbed an opportunity to get on board on a lot of TVs and good for them because I think their stuff's pretty good. I think it it
0: all depends on what happens once the TV service launches for Apple, right? Because if they put all this money in, but they're not selling Apple TVs, then maybe they have to do it, right? But I think ideally, they would want to just sell more Apple TVs as a way to get this stuff on people's television sets. So I I think that is like a, right. they have to wait and see, right? Like, I'm sure that there is a project somewhere in the background, right? Of like, okay, how do we partner with Samsung and LG and Panasonic to do this? Right. Um, Or do we just hope we can sell, we can like make our boxes cheaper, you know, sell it for $49, sell it for free, give it away, right? Like, who knows what they're going to end up doing. It's just as a way to get, I mean, if you sign up, if you sign up for a year, right, with apple tv why not just give people a box but we can get to all of that stuff later on um but before we wrap
1: up on the tv was it worth it is the picture quality what you want it to be yeah you know the 4k hdr stuff it looks great (laughs) especially at at night um with the lights out where you can really see it's movie like you can take advantage of the uh, high high dynamic range right so Mm -hmm. the blacks are so much better better than on that old TV where they were that l the it's the LED backlight shining through the LCD turning all of the stuff that's black black as night into a kind of space gray mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. where it's like it's just not so so yeah the colors are vibrant the pictures more detailed uh, my old TV was technically, it was a 4K TV, but it was too small, really, for, for the quality difference to be particularly visible. This one, it is clearly a better picture. The HDR stuff makes it even better. And I have reached the point now, which is unfortunate, but I have reached the point now where some channels, um, so most broadcast channels, or, or at least uh, broadcasting cable channels, traditional non-streaming, are they're either 720p or they're 1080i. And, uh, you know... I am at the point now where I can tell, especially with the 720p like sports content, um, I can really see that it isn't that great. Like it, ha- I have gotten to that point now where we've been in an HD world so long that now I'm not impressed by HD picture quality anymore. And I keep thinking, "Come on, ESPN, up your game. 720p isn't good enough," uh, which is kind of funny. God,
0: they're still broadcasting 720 in
1: 2018. Yeah, I-, I wonder. I mean, that's a totally like side. Well, plus I think the cable companies, in order to maintain bandwidth, they're reencoding stuff and making it even crappier. Um, yeah, it's That's not ridiculous. great. So, yeah, but but streaming, you know, you're, you're it's funny you, your your bottleneck for streaming is much greater than it is for the coming over a cable or satellite pipeline. But uh, it's dedicated, right? Like you're you're saying, give me the stream, and then mm-hmm. you're watching the stream. Whereas they've got to get all their channels in uh, across the wire, mm-hmm. and so. You, you do have situations where the streaming version looks better than the, um, than the, the cable TV version. Um, so I don't know the current state of affairs of what they're doing in the past. Cable and satellite providers have done things like take HD content and downres them so that they're not quite HD anymore in order to, and they extra compress them just to get them across the line. And, uh, you know, it's, it's more, it's more visible. So, but the streaming stuff looks beautiful. Um, I have to say, um, But speaking of that, streaming 4K, it it is a mess. Netflix has got it um, and looks good. 4K HDR, uh, Amazon Prime Video's got it. Um, Apple TV, right? So if you go to the TV app and uh, look at your library, one of the items is 4K and HDR. Mm -hmm. And it lets you see everything that you have in your library that's a 4K and HDR, and that's great. Um, The problem is that... Disney is an outlier. Like Disney doesn't want to be a part of this. Uh, everybody just gets 4K movies that they bought on iTunes, kind of thing. And so I, I have this issue of like, so if I want to watch Black Panther or The Last Jedi, let's say, as recent examples, yep. in 4K and UHD, how do I do that? You wait. And the the answer, yeah, the answer seems to be uh, you can't get it on iTunes right now. But what I could do, and this is actually I, I did this last week, is I bought the um, the UHD Blu-rays, the 4K Blu-rays that don't work on a regular Blu-ray player for Last Jedi and Black Panther. And what that got me was a disc I can't play, a disc I can play, which is the standard Blu-ray, and then a code that I could put in movies anywhere. And that code shows up in iTunes as a 1080 non-UHD movie, but it shows up in Voodoo as, uh, which is another streaming service that's tied into Movies Anywhere, as a UHD movie, and there's a Vudu app on the Roku TV. So I was able to watch Black Panther in 4K HDR, hey, but only using the Vudu app. So it's, it's better than nothing. Moises Chuyon, credit to Moises, who was like, here's how you do it. Here's the secret. It's dumb because, I mean, basically Disney thinks that you should pay more for UHD than for standard HD. And Apple's whole approach is we're just going to upgrade everything. And Apple knows that it's like this is how we get uptake on this stuff is we put we we if you already bought it you, we're not going to make you buy it again we're not going to make you upgrade it we're just going to do it and all the other studios seem to have gone along and been like sure okay let's do that let's let's try that um, and Disney's like no we're not going to do it we wanna we wanna pay charge extra and I my thought there is that fine charge extra like just raise your prices going forward this is
0: what they're saying about it. I don't think this is what it is I think they just want to make they're charging extra is sign up for Disney streaming
1: right like that's where they're going to be it it could be it could be it's just it's kind of funny that they're there for their you you want to buy a movie and uh you can buy it but you can't buy it in in uhd and if you buy it on itunes like so i bought infinity war on itunes and that shows up in movies anywhere but that's not i I don't get credit for the uhd version i only get the hd version. version Okay. I get the 1080 version because I bought it. I had the the. I dared to buy it on iTunes instead <laughs> of what I should have done if I'd wanted to do this, which is again buy a disc I can't play, or I think just buy it on Vudu, in which case I get the digital version and and that will sync on movies anywhere. That would be the other way to do it.
0: That's probably the way to do it.
1: Speaking of the disc I can't play, um, the last thing I want to do is buy another standalone box. So I don't want to buy an Ultra HD. Uh, blu-ray player like i don't even have a blu-ray player anymore the if we have a Blu-ray, mostly i just rip blu-ray discs onto plex but if we want to watch a disc it goes in the xbox that's basically how that works the xbox one will play it um and so i just i don't want uh to buy a a, uh an uhd blu-ray player even though if we're talking if my inner john syracusa comes out (laughs) It talks about the highest possible image quality. The bitrate on one of those discs is way more bitrate than you will get on streaming or cable. So it will be by far the highest quality picture. Um, But I don't want to buy a box. So I was actually thinking this morning, what I might do is buy um, a new Xbox and sell our old Xbox. Uh, Because the Xbox One S and X both do UHD Blu-ray. Um, the original Xbox One doesn't, but the new ones do. And that would be, I would I would be trading one box for another instead of adding a box under my TV. And uh, so I might do that. It's possible.
0: I would wait a little bit before buying a new Xbox.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, things are always moving. The, the frustrating thing is I don't have a PS4 and if, they, if Sony put a UHD player in the PS4, I would just buy a PS4. It'd be like a perfect, it's like the Spider-Man games coming out. Yep. I would do that, but they didn't do it.
0: <laughs> I don't think they're going to do it either.
1: They're fully no, gamers now. No, it's frustrating. Now. That's the that whole thing. they, yeah. don't, they, don't, they don't. focus yeah. on entertainment anymore. It's fine. It's it, it, it's fine. But like, I I just don't want to add boxes uh, with yeah. just to play discs. Right? That's not enough. That's too much of a unitasker. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I may I may just buy a new a new Xbox at some point here. We'll see. So I should wait. I shouldn't buy. There are there new 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 Xboxes coming <sighs> next year probably. <laughs> Uh, hmm. Well, I mean, we'll like see. Unless we'll you're desperate, I
0: then I wouldn't get one yet. All right.
1: Um, oh, so my last point is, we to wrap this up, when we started, you said, well, that's a pretty good price for a 65-inch T- 4K HDR TV for sub $1,000. 3 cents under 1000 right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: However, uh, when we bought our first HDTV in like 2004... Uh it was a tube TV. It was a Trinitron. Sony Trinitron ten eighty HD TV. It's a beautiful picture. Weighed two hundred pounds. Uh there was no content for it. There were like two channels that did HD. Yeah. But we bought a nice, uh, we bought a uh, basically a stand to put it on that was like a hutch. It's got room for your DVDs and your video games and stuff underneath, and it actually had like a uh, thing that went over it with shelves and stuff. So like an entertainment center kind of, yeah. Um, not not the old style where it was like just a, like TV shaped, and this was a widescreen TV, so it was already kind of you know it was wide and it had room in the front where the where the uh, the shelves were not, so that as my TVs got bigger and flatter, they could just sit at the front of that, and they could continue to expand. But with this TV, we blew it out; like it could not fit this TV. Um, so <laughs> the net result is, after 15 years of that furniture or whatever, uh, it's out. We put it on the street with a big sign on it that said "free." It's gone now. Somebody <laughs> cool. took it. Great, it's free. It's free, take it, take it away, um, but that means we need to buy something new because the TV is currently sitting on our coffee table, <laughs> which is literally the only piece of furniture in our house uh, that is not a bed that is wide enough to take this enormous TV.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so we, so yesterday we bought a new piece of furniture. It's a very nice table uh, with with shelves underneath it that's designed to be, you know, for entertainment room purposes it's got it's got uh, um you know little uh vents in it and stuff so that the electronics don't heat up and all that but it it costs like twice as much as the tv did <laughs> yeah. so what a bargain sub thousand dollar tv what a deal yeah, but, but the nice but, thing but
0: you you know you kept that monolithic entertainment console for gosh knows how many years so
1: a, a, a very long time and this is a nice piece of furniture and it's going to last us and it, it it it's not it's just an and it's like a sideboard kind of it's just yeah. a table so it could be repurposed down the road and I will say it is awfully nice having moved that giant piece of furniture out of our living room there's like a lot of we can see the wall <laughs> it's a lot less imposing even with the giant TV it's actually less imposing in the living room than it was because the, the, you know, it used to be almost floor to ceiling furniture. And now there's a large portion of it. That's the wall. So we're going to put the TV on that piece of furniture for now. And if we decide later that we want to put it on the wall, we'll do that, but we're going to try it just on the piece of furniture when it comes. So that's, so yes, in the end for want of a 65 inch TV, our entire living room (laughs) got changed. Uh, Isn't that always the way? Today's show is brought to you by Casper, the company focused on sleep,
0: dedicated to making you exceptionally comfortable one night at a time. Casper mattresses are perfectly designed for human beings. I also have dog mattresses as well, so humans and dogs. With engineering to soothe and support your natural geometry, it's got all the right support in all of the right places. You spend a third of your life sleeping. If you spend a third of your life doing anything, don't you want it to be the best it can possibly be? This is what you'll get with Casper, because they combine multiple supportive memory foam to give you a quality mattress with just the right sink and bounce. Their mattresses are designed and developed in the U.S. and they have a breathable design to help regulate your body temperature all night long they have over twenty thousand reviews online they have an average rating of 4.8 stars people love their casper mattresses they are becoming the internet's favorite mattress and i bet one of those things is because of their 100 night risk-free sleep on it trial you can be confident in the purchase that you're gonna make because casper will deliver your mattress right to your door and if for any reason you don't love it they have a hassle-free return policy jason snell you love your mattress right
1: I do. I've had it for a couple of years now, at least. It might even be longer, and it's very nice. I will say that um, the same thing happened with my Casper mattress as with my TV, which was I got this great new mattress, and I was like, we got to buy a new bed. (laughs) So we bought a beautiful new bed. It's very nice. And then the Casper mattress is on it, and it's all lovely. Um, But this apparently is a thing with me where it's like, hey, we got a new thing. Let's get more new things to surround it. But but yeah, I wouldn't go back. I was just uh, visiting family and uh, my back was killing me after a couple of days on the, in the guest bedroom of, of this house that we were staying at, uh, and I really missed my Casper, and I was very happy to return to it.
0: Well, good news for your family members, Jason Snell. You can get them $50 uh, towards a select mattress purchase. Just tell them to go to casper.com slash upgrade and use the code upgrade at checkout. Terms like and conditions apply, and that's for everyone. Casper.com slash upgrade. Offer code upgrade to get $50 towards select mattress purchases we thank casper for their support of this show and relay fm so let's do some upstream news cbs all access announces a new star trek show featuring patrick stewart
1: you know when i was watching uh logan did you see logan i have bought logan i've not yet watched logan oh well it's really good that's why and i patrick bought it. stewart's in yep. it he's he's and he's really good and i i had that moment where i thought you know the x-men movies keep bringing patrick stewart back and he's so great, and the, he shows so many different aspects of that character. And I, re, I felt really sad watching Logan, though, that I thought, why is it that Star Trek never got, you know, the people involved in Star Trek? And the, the reason is because they had a weird period where they're, you know, they're owned by two different companies now, and there's there's all sorts of complications. But it's like, why couldn't they get Patrick Stewart to revisit Captain Picard from Star Trek: The Next Generation? Because if if the X Men movies can do it, surely Star Trek. Could you know, I it's a huge missed opportunity, is basically what I was thinking. But they've got their act together, and the reason this is in um, upstream is it's CBS All Access, so it's going to be a streaming show. But, um, and I'm excited about it. Who knows what the show will be? It'll be out next year, it's going to be centered on Patrick Stewart. It's you know, what the premise is beyond that is, it is called Star Trek Las Vegas, right? Star Trek Las Vegas is the convention where it was announced.
0: Oh, I thought that was the name of the TV show. I was like, no, it's definitely not.
1: <laughs> Captain Picard runs a casino. No, it's uh Well my premise is that uh Captain Picard uh has taken over the vineyard, uh, the Chateau Picard vineyard that his family has owned for hundreds of years and he uh goes from uh place to place uh Getting restaurants to sign up for the wine from Chateau Picard. Interesting. Yeah. From planet to planet and has (laughs) adventures involving (laughs) the wine business, the interplanetary wine business. Anyway, that's my pitch. Uh, Call me CBS. The reason that I put this in here is that when they did, I think Star Trek Discovery last year was kind of a test for them, which was let's get a group together and figure out how much it costs to make a science fiction TV show today. And uh, and so they were taking it slow and full credit to them. Now there are reports that in addition to this show, they're working on at least one other kind of like a mini series that's a Star Trek miniseries for CBS All Access and an animated Star Trek for CBS Limey. All Access. Um, and I think it's really smart because they're doing... So they own Star Trek. CBS owns Star Trek. And they have a, a, a streaming service. What do you do? You do what what... Uh, What Disney is doing right now, and you do what Netflix, if you think about it, Netflix did with Marvel Mm -hmm. um, before Disney started its own streaming service plans. It was in in business with Netflix. And Netflix was like, we're going to do – we're not going to do a Marvel show. We're going to do four Marvel shows, Uh, right? Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, Daredevil, and Iron Fist, and then also the Defenders miniseries that they did. And they're just going to keep doing those too, presumably as long as their deal with Disney lasts. Um, But it's super smart. Like we're not going to do, you know, we we got this Marvel license for these characters. We're not going to do like a show that's on for 10 weeks and then goes away. We're going to do a bunch of stuff. And I always thought CBS All Access, since they own Star Trek, uh, it's a franchise that they control and there's an appetite for this sort of thing. They should really start programming so that like there's always some Star Trek show on at any given week on CBS All Access. And it looks like that's what they're doing. So good for them. I think that's a smart play. We'll see how it turns out. I'm very excited that they apparently backed up the giant truck of money to Patrick Stewart's house. Um, and uh, he's on board. But that, And, and as, a, as a fan who loved that show, um, I want to see more Captain Picard. I'm looking forward to it. Talking about expansive uh, sci-fi
0: themed universes with star in a name. It turns out Disney can't get the rights to
1: Star Wars. <laughs> not now, the not the TV and streaming rights. Let's basically, yeah, for let's Star back
0: Wars. up a little bit. I think that, that 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 kind of line is very funny, but it's also kind of true. So Disney owns Star Wars, right? But yes, Turner Broadcasting, yeah, mo- mostly, yeah. which is owned by AT and T, currently owns the TV rights to Star Wars. So Star Wars movies get shown on Turner channels. That's how that works, right? Yep. So if they're going to be on TV, yep. that's where they are. So. Disney want them back. Now, this is being reported by Bloomberg as so they can put them on their new streaming service. Now, this isn't completely accurate. So we'll, we'll come back to that in a moment. Turner want a lot of money, as you can assume, because they know they can ask for it. And comparable replacement content. Now, this is where it's all stopped because I'm expecting Disney... Would give them the money, would not give them the replacement content. Because comparable replacement content means probably Marvel movies. And Disney doesn't want to give those away either.
1: Yeah. The only thing I can think is that would they make a deal to do something, and I think Disney doesn't want to do this, right, but would be to say, we'll we'll let you have a Marvel TV show <laughs> or yeah. something like that. Something. But they don't want that. They don't, they don't want to do that. that. They want all of that stuff on their yes. own on their own company services yeah and
0: that is leading into this right so netflix currently have a deal for the new star wars movies like right now netflix in the uk it has uh last jedi
1: but us too and and it's got uh, marvel movies it's it's got like uh what's what's on what's on netflix there's a a relatively recent marvel movie that's on there maybe black panther Mm um uh, or Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two, I think, is cool. on there, and that that deal extends through Ant Man and the Wasp, and that'll be the last one. And then Disney has clawed those rights back, but yeah, they're they made this is just like those all those Marvel TV shows that are on Netflix. Like Disney made deals back when they weren't planning this streaming service strategy, and those deals are are out there, and they can't unwind them immediately. But that Netflix deal is going to
0: come to an end. When that Netflix yes. deal comes to an end, Disney will be able to put these on their own service. Now, right. if so, you think to yourself, "Why? Why do they if, they? if the streaming rights and TV rights are completely separate, then why do they care about Turner? Well, I assume the reason is they want the only place to get Star Wars and Marvel to be their service, which is probably why they're not willing to give totally. up a bunch more to Turner to get these rights back. I guess exactly. they'll just wait until all of these contracts come up, like they end. Because I don't. When does the Netflix one? So the Netflix one. It runs out, I guess, in, within the next year, right? If Ant-Man and the Wasp is the last one, because it's just come out, so give it a year and it's...
1: Right. Pre- yeah, presumably there's a window that they bought where it's like it goes on sale on home video and, mm-hmm. and rental for home video. And then there's a you know six-month gap and then it goes on Netflix for six months and then it comes off. And There's some pattern that I haven't followed, but there clearly is one. And the last one of those will be Ant-Man and the Wasp. And when that goes off of Netflix, that's the end of the deal.
0: Yeah, so then they're gone, right? And then Disney has them all. Yeah. And, it, and it might be some kind of rolling thing, right? So they might start getting some of them. Who knows? I mean, we don't know what the deals mean. But all of right. this is just, is it is funny to me. You look at these contracts and what Disney have bought their way into. To try and get what they want, they are having to deal with tens of years of contracts by companies they didn't own right they're dealing with marvel's nuisance they're dealing with uh like uh lucasfilm then they're gonna be dealing with fox and they've just gotta go through like the next five years and then they'll get to where they want to be because right now they are having to unwind walk back all of these
1: contracts that they found themselves into yeah disney is is turning itself into a very different company than it is today and than it was five years ago. But it's going to take time. And now yep. buying Fox is a yet another piece of that. And what it does with Hulu, as we've talked about, is going to be another piece of it. But I think you're right. The end goal is that everything that's available on streaming, that's Marvel or Star Wars or Pixar or Disney.
0: Simpsons is, and everything else. Yeah,
1: <laughs> is only on a Disney-owned streaming service. That is the end goal
0: here. You may even stop seeing iTunes. Like you never, like right, something. They may
1: stop doing it. I don't think so. Only because I feel like that's a different market. The if you want to buy it or rent it, and then there's streaming, and and that it might be it might be different. But I feel like there's ancillary revenue. Like um, Star Trek Discovery is going to come out on Blu-ray this fall. And that, that's going to be the first chance for anybody who didn't stream it, who didn't pay for a streaming service, to right, watch it. But there's right, right. there's money to be made on, on that, and so CBS is going to do that. I feel like there's money to be made making Blu-rays, and there's money to be made selling things on iTunes and renting things on iTunes. And then there's this other market that's the streaming market, which happens a little bit later. Now, they may upset that, but I think the most likely scenario, and the way it looks right now, is that they'll kind of keep to that. But they want... If when our content goes to streaming, it's only on our streaming services. Now, you know, I don't know the nature of like their deal with Netflix for those shows. I assume that those shows are on Netflix as long as Netflix wants to keep renewing them which I think we mentioned last week. Like, I anticipate that you will be seeing new seasons of Iron Fist for a long time, if only because Netflix wants to be in the Marvel business, and that's the only piece that they can control. And that Disney would love for Netflix to stop showing those shows so that they could take them over. In fact, there's a great example of this, which is the, um, that, uh, that Clone Wars series. That is coming to that. They did the last. They renewed it for a last season after it's been off the air for years. Like, why? Why did that all happen? The reason is that was not on a Disney-owned channel, and Disney, you know, Disney bought Star, uh, Lucasfilm, so they got Star Wars, and they basically said we're we're not going to make that show anymore. <laughs> and then they made a new show, Star Wars Rebels, that was on Disney's channel instead. And it seems like that deal has now lapsed to the point where they can go back and make new episodes and put it on their own streaming service deal. So in the end, the goal here is why should we make something for a competitor when we can make it for ourselves? And in some cases they're going to have to wait out just as Marvel has had to wait out things like uh, Fox and Universal and uh, other companies having rights to the Marvel characters that they want to have the rights to, or they bought them out, one of the, one of the two. Mm-hmm. Um, Disney's going to have to wait out some of these TV deals they made, including Turner with the Star Wars movies, unless they want to pay them off. Because um, you can see the appeal, right, of launching that service and saying every Star Wars movie, and this is the only place you can get it. And all the Star Wars TV shows and new Star Wars TV shows, but they can't do it yet. So
0: talking about Disney streaming service, there was an interesting article in the New York Times today, which reads like a profile to me more than, yeah, right? It it reads like Disney sat down, gave them a bunch of information, clearly fed them some stuff as well, which came from anonymous sources, but like way too much information that you wouldn't have sat on, right? Like, you know, there there was a really, really a lot of stuff in here. Try and break down some of it. It's all focused around a guy called Ricky Strauss, who's been given creative oversight for Disney's new streaming service. Strauss was the president of marketing at Walt Disney Studios. He has credits like Black Panther, Force Awakens and Inside Out to his name whilst kind of running marketing there. Um, he's been described by people like Kevin Feig who is the head of Marvel Studios as hugely supportive to storytellers and that he exhibits strong creative instincts and expertise. Strauss is going to be responsible for green lighting and shaping the new programming that Disney will create um, and you know you can expect to see here now coming to Disney what we've seen with Apple so you're going to start to see now big names big projects and big budgets so you're going to start to see people being attached to properties coming to Disney or coming from Disney like, we, like we've like we been reporting on for ages, right? So like Apple signs this person, Amazon signs this person. I think you're about to start to see Disney's name in that hat a little bit more as opposed to just stuff coming from them. We may start yep, to see totally. some, some some things that they're signing. They uh, The rumors say there are at least nine movies in production, some original stuff, <sighs> yeah. but they're going to be doing uh, kind of remakes, reboots of Lady and the Tramp and Sword in the Stone, uh, Lady and the Tramp and Sword in the Stone, um, among mm-hmm. some others, and some TV series adapted from Disney properties. There's going to be a new High School Musical show and a new Monsters, Inc. show. Uh, this has kind of all come out of this Disney uh, kind of article slash profile in the new york times today there's a lot of information in there
1: yeah i the movie stuff kind of fascinates me i wonder about that like um the idea of, I mean, that's competing with Netflix, I suppose, the idea that in addition to having TV series, they want to have kind of movie premieres and then they live on in the library. And Disney has always been, if, if anybody who knows their home video strategy where it's like it goes back in the vault, they sell them for a little while and then they, they go away and then they come back. This is a little bit like the new Disney vault is their streaming service where they put these th- movies there and they say, if you want to watch them, you need to pay us to subscribe and that's part of their strategy is instead of direct to video it's like direct to streaming um and that's it'll be interesting to see how this turns out presumably netflix keeps doing this because it actually works for them um i always think like that the netflix movies are i am a skeptic of movies being released on on netflix i'm not sure but apparently people watch them i very rarely watch a netflix original movie i want tv shows yeah I want TV shows too, but obviously there's an audience for it or they wouldn't do it. Netflix knows their audience and they, they're paying for these movies. So they, there must be some uh, segment of their audience that's totally into the original movies. And Disney seems to be leaning that way. And I'm sure they'll, you know, they're going to learn a lot about who their audience is too. I'm fascinated by this because um, I see Marvel and Star Wars as being, you know, Marvel runs the gamut, right? The Netflix TV shows are are rated R level. Um, the uh, other Marvel shows are more like PG-13. Uh, Star Wars is a PG kind of environment. And that's interesting, but those aren't, you know, those aren't kids shows, right? They're, they're older than that. So I wonder about the challenge of this Disney streaming service and how they sell it because if they're trying to sell it to parents of young kids and then also parents of older kids and also people who love Marvel and Disney or Marvel and star Wars, which is a broader audience than that. I don't know that it's a weird combination of things. Um, but I think they don't want to offer like five different streaming services. Right. So this is where they've chosen to put it. Um, I don't know. It's going to be fascinating to see. And that's the thing I got most out of that New York Times article was I felt like this was also sort of Disney trying to introduce this concept to a broader audience through the access that they presumably granted for this article, which is get ready. Disney is also in this game along with Netflix and Amazon and Apple. And and, and that first shot saying, you know, pay attention to us too. We are also all the way in on this strategy. So yeah, there's a lot. I I recommend
0: if you're interested in this stuff, which you probably are if you're listening to this, go read that article because there's more stuff in there. There's more like titles that they're talking about. We just picked out a few of them. So there's some interesting stuff in there for sure. All right. Today's episode is also brought to you by a new sponsor I'm very excited about, and that is Inboard Technology. They are the geniuses behind the motorized M1 skateboard. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, we have an electric skateboard sponsor for today's show. Um, Inboard, their flagship M1 e-board is set apart from the pack with its innovative industry-leading features, whilst it also features a sleek yet rugged design. So with the inboard, with the M1... It's not like other boards. This deck is made from a single block of wood and wrapped in fiberglass, making it the most advanced skateboard deck ever developed. The board has the glide of a traditional skateboard with the power and freedom of an electric motor. It has uh, truly swappable batteries, and it's the first in an electric skateboard. They were the first to do this, so you can grab extra batteries, put them in your bag, swap them out while you're on the go, so you don't need to like plan everything just about how much range you've got. And you can even ride long after the sun goes down because the e-board has in integrated led lights on the front and tail for a safer ride you can seriously upgrade your commute with one of these boards you can forget spending ages stuck in traffic or looking for a parking space just pick up the board and head to work or maybe just if you don't really want to think about this for your commute you could just have a fun way to get around your neighborhood and it's great for that as well now i am very unfortunately uh, recovering from a sprained ankle that i uh, suffered in hawaii And I'm looking at an inboard sitting right next to me, and I am very excited to try it out, but I couldn't try it out for this ad. I will for the next one. So I asked Relay FM co-founder, Stephen Hackett, who also has one, to give us his thoughts on the inboard. And instead of just like calling him in, how about you hear him on it instead? I was not really a skateboarder before this, but the inboard gives you all the confidence you really need. The board is very smooth. The wheels just seem to glide right over small debris, cracks in the concrete. It's really
1: very, very comfortable. The remote is really easy to understand and use. You're not going to make a mistake with it. And it just makes you feel alive. I like going fast. I like riding my bike fast. I like fast go-karts. The inboard makes... experience a lot easier to attain because
0: you're out in the open getting lots of fresh air feel the breeze it's a whole lot of fun. So for a limited time only, save $100 on your purchase of the M1 eBoard by heading to inboardtechnology.com, that is I-N-B-O-A-R-D technology.com, and using the code UPGRADE100, UPGRADE100 at checkout. So get the board. You can try it out for 14 days, and if it's not for you, you can just send it back to them. They have an easy return policy. So if you've ever wanted to try out a motorized skateboard, now is the time to do it. That is inboardtechnology.com and use the code upgrade Upgrade 100 to save $100 for a limited time. Go there right now. You're not going to regret it. Our thanks to Inboard Technology for their support of this show and Relay FM. Electric skateboards, man. It's the future. Oh, boy. All mm. right. So, Apple results time. Uh, let's do very quick headline. Revenue, profits, services, iPad sales, and iPhone sales were all up year on year. Mac sales were down year on year. There's your headline. Let's dig into a couple yeah. of different things.
1: Re- record revenue for the third quarter. Mm-hmm. They, they made more, you know, again, it's more records. Um, the way I, I phrased it in my article was sort of like, I hear people who are just bored now. Uh, it's the best kind of bored, I suppose, to the Board Apple just kind of reli- reliably has huge profits and huge revenue. And that's just where we are at the moment. Mm-hmm. And you know, have been for a long time, probably will continue to be for a long time.
0: So Apple has actually, with this quarter, hit their new iPhone sales peak. So do you remember, probably about a year ago, uh, we were spending a lot of time talking about the huge 6 and 6 Plus release. Maybe it was a year, year or two ago. Because if you remember, Apple had their first down quarters, right? Because the 6 and 6 Plus pent up demand, all that stuff went through the roof. And it was like those were the heady heights of the iPhone, probably never to be seen again. Well, it did it. Uh, it's revenue, not unit sales, that's been beaten. So unit sales have not eclipsed the six and six plus yet. Although I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go on record and say that, like you know, they will do it next year with the with the ones that we're gonna see in September, right? I think that that's gonna probably. be the, the those phones are gonna be pretty huge. Um, but they have a, a more revenue than ever before year on year with a higher average selling price, the ASP. And I guess, Jason, this is all thanks to the iPhone 10, right?
1: Yeah, this is the success of the iPhone 10. that revenue for iPhone uh, has been up year on year for seven straight quarters. But the the number that has struck me was the four quarter average. So you take a look at like, it, it smooths out all the seasonality, Um you basically look at how much revenue has the iPhone generated in the last year. That's that's a different chart. Um, I know it's not your favorite chart because it's kind of weird because it's, yeah. it's synthetic. But mm-hmm. the most important point of it is to say in any given four-quarter period, any given year, not even like calendar year, but like four-quarter period over the life of the iPhone, the iPhone has made more money in the last four quarters than any other four quarter period including the insurmountable iphone six and six plus period and that's that's the thing that makes me laugh because remember we had that year where it was where it was great and then we had the year where they couldn't live up to it and everybody's like oh god why everything's awful year over year it's terrible even though that was sort of an aberration because the general trend was up but like there was so much pent-up demand for larger screen iphones that 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 was a huge year um but you give it three years and here we are the new kind of like that gradual increase has now reached the heights of the impossibly you know impossibly high sales of the iphone 6 in revenue and the asp average selling price is about the iphone 10 right like the average selling price of the iphone has been increasing uh you know has been increasing since the um the iphone 10 came out and at this point, the four-quarter rolling average is the highest it's ever been. The average iPhone selling price over the last four quarters, which includes the introduction of the iPhone 10, is seven hundred and seventeen dollars. It's uh, it's huge, and there's no other. I mean, the iPhone eight, uh, the iPhone eight and eight plus are more expensive than their predecessors, so that's part of it. But it's really about that fact: that the iPhone 10 is such mm-hmm. a key. Uh, part of the iPhone line, and it is the best-selling iPhone, and that's the one that starts at a thousand dollars. So mm-hmm. uh, there, you know, for all of those dumb stories about how the iPhone 10 was no good and was failing and wasn't selling well, uh, that's th- they were just wrong. And the iPhone 10 has pushed Apple to its highest heights yet. And I'm wondering what
0: is going to happen with you know the coming uh, next year, right? With from September onwards, when there's probably going to be three new phones with two of them hovering around $1,000 to start. These numbers this time, like next
1: year or whatever, are going to be mammoth. Yeah, well, the iPhone 9 will presumably hit a lot of people who held out on the iPhone 10 Mm -hmm. because they thought it was too expensive. But if that iPhone 9 or whatever it's called, that is, you know, the LCD version of the iPhone 10, basically, it's got Face ID and all of that um and presumably will cost less than the iPhone 10 yep. that uh will get some people some other people will be like okay well now I'll get the iPhone 10 cuz we I think we're assuming there'll be a new iPhone 10 um as well a new iPhone 10 model that they'll probably just call the iPhone 10 the new iPhone 10 second generation mm-hmm. and there's the rumor about the iPhone 10 plus which will presumably start at more like $1100 mm-hmm. <laughs> uh so yeah I would imagine that this is I mean this is the reality of of where Apple is now is that they pushed um, some models down by keeping older models around and by uh, occasionally refreshing the iPhone SE, and they've also pushed models up because they know that there's some people who are happy to pay twelve hundred dollars for an iPhone. And uh, and as a result, you know the average iPhone sale price is uh, more than a hundred dollars. Apple is making more than a hundred dollars per iPhone more than they did three and a half years ago.
0: I'm also going to, I'm going to, if I was going to put my money on the table, I would expect that we will have like the iPhone 9, right, which would be like a $600, 700 iPhone 10 looking LCD phone. I reckon the iPhone 10 that we have now, they'll cut the price and that will be available. And then we'll have a S and a 10 plus. So mm. I, uh, just, uh, that's how I think it's going to go. Just so they have, they have like on the $100, right? From like seven to 1100, something like that. We'll see. I mean, I I do totally understand the idea of getting rid of the current 10, and I know there's been a lot of rumors that that suggest that, but it really feels to me like all of the iPhone 10 revenue and sales reporting that has occurred over the last year has all been wrong. So, you know, like the idea of them killing the iPhone, it, it didn't work. I mean, I totally understand the reason if they just want to get rid of it, but. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if we see the current iPhone 10 kept around on the line just to have another model available at another price point. We'll see. Uh, the iPad is definitely stable at this point. Um, I think it's quite clear. I was talking about this on Connected. I believe Apple has a strategy in place for the iPad right now with how they're releasing it. You know, that they didn't have Pros available for June so they released, and they did release, you know, they, they had a cheaper iPad, right? Like they brought had a, yep. a, had a more regular iPad, and that's definitely what has kept them kind of on a, on a steady to small growth, right? Um, I think September yep. is going to be very exciting for the iPad. Um, you know, you, you, we think we're excited for the iPhone. My hopes are very high right now for what the iPad might bring in September as well, what we're going to see in the iPad Pro. So mm-hmm. I think that uh, Apple definitely have a, a strategy a long-term strategy in place for the ipad right now and that we're seeing it unfold and the the numbers are showing that story where i think we're not seeing it for the macintosh
1: yeah it's working for the ipad i mean uh the i they have been executing when they you know split the line and lower the price of the ipad and made the ipad pro they've been executing that um, they had new iPad Pros the next year, basically, mm-hmm. and they—if we see newer iPad Pros this fall, then they will have, you know, really been executing pretty quickly on turning that product line around. And um, there was a little Twitter back and forth about uh, Federico and I had at one point about how exciting uh, this fall could be. You know, I think I'm more excited about. Uh, an iPad Pro announcement than I am about the iPhone at this point. Me too. Because last oh, year was really exciting. So big, iPhone 10 yeah. was really exciting. Yeah, but if what we get is sort of an iPhone 10 light and an iPhone 10 big, <laughs> that's fine. That's you know it's a huge product and they'll sell a lot of them. But I am really interested in what the iPhone 10 style iPad Pro looks like. That's yep. really really interesting because, if they've managed to do that i don't know what it's going to cost oh a lot of money <laughs> but, but like, i love yeah.
0: my iphone 10 so much still i think of all of my iphones this is the one that i have remained in love with for the longest period of time like a couple of days ago i was like wow we're like six weeks away from the new one right or something like that which is super close right forget the math right but we're maybe six weeks away from seeing the new iphone and i feel like i've only just had my iphone Right, like, and I right. know we got it a little bit later, right? I know it came in like November or whatever, but uh-huh. I, I still really, really love my iPhone X, so that's why I, like, you guys, are so excited for what the iPad's gonna be like, right? With this thinking and this new kind of design in mind, very, very excited for that. And we're gonna talk about that, I guess, over the next few weeks as we ramp Certainly. up to to those products being released. But let's talk about the Macintosh. Mm, year-on-year decline in units, 5% down in revenue. This is the fewest Macs sold in a single quarter since Q3 2010, and this makes it the third straight down quarter. Uh, (laughs) I don't know what to say about it. My my, my feeling is Apple's... I said this again, I'm repeating myself from Connected, but... I think that they're showing they have a really good strategy in the iPad and it feels like it's kind of reversed and the strategy maybe isn't so good in the Mac right now. They're not releasing things quick enough. What they're releasing isn't making people happy. There's potentially stuff on the horizon, but nobody knows anything about it.
1: And that feels like what the iPad felt like to me a while ago. Yeah, I think... I think they do have a strategy but the problem is that they haven't executed okay, sorry, it. Sorry, yeah, I should say a strategy that we're seeing, right? Cuz there's always they yeah, had a that, strategy. Right. Like the
0: iPad didn't just they didn't just have that idea 6 months ago, right? Like there is a plan but the plan has fallen down, right? Like
1: yeah. where uh, and, we are at the uh, moment
0: in their plan is the bad point I would hope.
1: Yeah, as Stephen and I talked about a couple of weeks ago. Um, the idea that the this this um, thing is just hanging out there with the, the consumer part of the laptop line. It's just like, what is going on there? And the answer is, yeah, it's a disaster. I am pretty sure that Apple knows exactly what they're going to do with the bottom half of the uh, of the laptop line, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. they haven't gotten there yet. No. And some of that is maybe misjudging, as we've talked about, misjudging sort of like how they could make a MacBook and the popularity of the MacBook Air and the pricing, uh, where they can put a 999 laptop and what they want to make for that. But I think it's going to get resolved. I have high hopes actually that it'll get resolved this fall and that we'll see that. Um, and in fact, this quarter doesn't include the MacBook Pro, whereas last quarter or last year, the year on year comparison quarter did include the MacBook Pro because it was released at WWDC last year. So that's what they call in the business a tough compare, which is they released a product last year, but they didn't this year. So of course, sales are down. It's possible that it's all going to be up from here for the Mac because they'll start with a quarter with a lot of MacBook pro sales, hopefully for them. Uh, and then if they roll out new Mac laptops and then new iMacs and all of that, they could get this going in the right direction. Yes. But it is, it is hard not to look at the numbers now and say that the Mac has, has, is in the roughest state it's been in, in, uh, Eight years, seven or eight years. Like right now, it's in this tenuous position where they have not released a lot of new stuff. They've got people kind of grumpy about the laptops. And the laptops are two-thirds of the business. They've promised a Mac Pro, but they haven't delivered it yet, not until next year. They have the iMac Pro out there, which is nice, although the existence of the Mac Pro probably suppressed sales of it. And it's not a mainstream, huge product anyway. The huge products are the laptops and the consumer laptops i I think are especially huge, and that's the part that they have done uh you know not a lot with, and it's kind yep. of confusing and a mess down there. So my optimistic side says what you said, which is this is a low point, and that the Mac will turn it around from here. I hope that's true. Because if Apple thinks that everything's fine in the Mac, <laughs> they are diluted. <laughs> because you can look yeah. at the numbers. It's very clear now that all of the kind of unrest that we've heard among Mac users for the last year or two, like... I really believe this. You can see it in the numbers. Like yeah. we may we may be a tempest in a teapot. We may be this, uh, you know, an echo chamber. We may be the non-representative of the Mac market as a whole, but we're also keen observers of the Mac market who care about it. I mean, and I'm not saying you and me, I'm saying like all the people who listen to podcasts and talk about this on the internet and write about it and listen to, and send us feedback and all mm-hmm. of that, right? I think you could also say maybe we were a, a uh, canary in a coal mine for some of their kind of baffling decisions. And uh, I think that that has actually borne out. But if I had to put my my finger on the one thing where the Mac has kind of uh, lost its way in terms of the sales, I would say it's the consumer laptops. The fact that there's the MacBook Air and the MacBook and that MacBook Pro non-touch bar, and they're all kind of like weirdly priced and have weird sets of features, and they're they're kind of like number one laptop is basically five year old technology. It's um, it's not a good place to be. So I believe that they're working on it. That they knew this a year or two ago. That that roundtable when they invited people out to talk about the Mac Pro and how much they love the Mac. Uh, the fact that at WWDC, they reiterated how much they care about the Mac and that the bringing iOS stuff to the Mac is part of a, a goal to reinvigorate the Mac and make it more relevant. Like I believe that Apple at some point made a decision that they weren't going to just let the Mac linger, that they were going to actually make an effort on the Mac, even though it's only 10% of their business. The problem is, as we've seen with something like the Mac Pro, like doing new har- or, or the keyboards, quite frankly, doing new hardware takes a long time time it takes a long these, time these are these are very very big ships to turn and they turn very very slowly and they're paying now for mistakes that they made yes. in like 2015 2016 and the problem where with they all made all of these some- things is you 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 come out and say
0: your intention but your the their products can't meet the intention because they're in, a, they got, they're in a pipeline, right, which, you know, and, and that's why they spoke about the Mac Pro. It's why they had the iMac Pro, right, yeah. and why they showed those things early because they needed to show something because maybe they knew their intention with, for the next couple of years wasn't going to meet they, what they want. They knew the pipeline. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
1: that pipeline is great when it's popping out amazing new iPhones all the time, right? The pipeline yeah. is not great when you realize you've made a horrible mistake. And you realize you have two years of stuff in the pipeline that is going on the assumptions you made that turned out to be wrong Mm -hmm. or that you've, you changed your strategy and the strategy that you thought was the right strategy in 2014 or 2015 turns out to be wrong. And you're going to be, you know, you're going to be living it down until 2018 or 2019. It's a tough position to be in. And that is why you call in people and say, we don't have anything to show you, but we want to tell you that we get it. (laughs) Uh, And that's where they are. So I'm choosing not to say that Apple's going to make decisions on the Mac that we, that we like or agree with. We'll see like, but I do feel like they're probably, they're probably having some of the same thoughts about this. They probably had several years ago, the same thoughts we had several years ago. The difference is they can't talk about it because they can't say, yeah, our current laptops are crappy. Don't buy them because they got to sell them. Right? Like, but they know that they've got something better coming along. And imagine the torture of being somebody at Apple, right? Who, uh, like Phil Schiller, like every time he goes out there and says, "Boy, this product is amazing," he knows that there are two products more than amazing in every cat in every category, two more amazing products than this one that are being worked on. At he least. knows it. Like he yeah. knows at least, right? And that's the tough thing about being kind of a marketer is that you need to sell this year's product, even though you know that like next year's product, of course, will leave this one in the dust because it's about now. And if you're turning and you're changing your strategy, it's even harder. And I mm-hmm. think that's what's happening. So we'll see because it can't go on like this, the, the way they've been doing it. It's, it's not good. And the, the numbers are there that it's been like 3.7 million max in a quarter. That's a terrible number. It's, it's, it's just it's awful. Services is still
0: going strong. Um, Not only is it growing year on year, there are more revenue streams on the way. The Apple video service being the main one. One of the the most interesting parts of the call for me was where Tim was talking semi openly about the fact that their TV stuff exists because, you know, as we've spoken about, there's nothing they can do to hide a lot of it because they have to work within the Hollywood system. Um, this you know, analysts we spoke about this. We speak about this every quarter. Analysts focus on services heavily because it is Apple's main uh, year-on-year percentage growth, right? Like that's where the growth yes. is going to be. Plus, you know, when iPhones do stop growing, because it's got to happen at some point, it hasn't yet. But it will. I mean, it's going to, you know, at least at least unit sales have slowed down. Right. But revenue's going up. But unit sales are slowing down. Um, how did it, how does Apple keep making more and more money, which everyone wants them to make uh, when they're not selling as many iPhones? Well, the way they do that is charging their existing customers for new services and make more money from them this way. But I know, Jason, that this rhetoric has started to grate on you a little bit.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's. I don't want to make too big a deal of it. I just, I had a moment when I was writing up the services revenue and when I was listening on the phone where I thought, like, I get why in the context of Wall Street and results, which is what these quarterly earnings are, you talk up your services growth and you set a target as we're going to double it in four years or whatever they did. And they're excited about it because they want to see growth. Because Wall Street's all about the growth. That's That's what they want to see is growth. And that's fine. I did have that moment where I thought, Let's not forget, and I'm not saying that Apple has actually forgotten this, but I just had a moment where I thought, let's not forget that Apple's expertise is making products, not services. And they're getting better at services. They're getting way better at services, which is good because it's an important part of their business. And the fact is, that's how the game is played today. You can't do this business. Like, Imagine if Apple had no... No video strategy no music strategy no cloud services strategy all they ever did was say you can connect to Dropbox you can connect to, to box.net yeah they you can would connect be to 365 right like they, would, be, they it would it would it would be they would be less less successful than they are and they would be creating success for others but the product would also not be as good because yeah. they can they can connect that stuff better mm-hmm. but I, this this is how this game is played Amazon dot com has a video streaming service like Google has what all the stuff that it's doing like you you got to be in this game now. That all said, it all comes back for me to the quality of the products, the hard- hardware and software working together with the services. and I think I don't the focus on services makes me uneasy just in the sense that, Apple is not a services company. Apple, unless you want to define as I've seen a few people define it, define the iPhone as a service, which is like I guess like technically if you especially if you're on that iPhone uh, program where you just get a new iPhone every year and you pay them yeah, a monthly the fee, program. like that is that is iPhone as a service. So that okay, you got me there. But in the end the har- the service that's most important is still a piece of hardware and software that works with different cloud services to give you a product. And again, it's a little thing. I'm not accusing, I don't want to overstate this. I'm not accusing Apple of losing the plot here because I do think that they're speaking the language that Wall Street wants to, that they understand and that they want to hear. But it does give me a little bit of pause because um, services revenue and the way it's framed in the calls is about increasing. They they don't generally use this term at Apple, although the, the analysts on the call will of um arpu which is average revenue per user but that's that's a um that's in the same uh same dictionary as um monetizing somebody where is the magic wand that turns a person into a pile of money um Mm -hmm. this is uh, arpu is what you do with the money after you've monetized someone (laughs) uh how much money is in the pile you count the pile And, and i just it makes me uneasy that apple will apple will maybe be a a successful company financially, but I think it loses its way if it starts to think more about the value of extracting revenue from its existing customer base than it does on making great products. And I'm not saying that's happening now, but I am saying that I can tell that like wall street would like that, at least the first part. And the danger is, uh, do you lose focus on what matters because Apple does make mistakes. I think the Mac has shown that the last couple of years that they've made, they've made mistakes. And I don't know, it's just, it's, it's, again, I'm not like angry or on a rant here as much as like, it just gave me a little tickle on the back of my, back of my neck. I was like, let's not get too carried away with services. Like services are good. And they're a part of the whole, they're a part of this nutritious breakfast. Right. But they are additive. And, uh, I don't, I'm not as enthusiastic about any company who says that one of its major goals is just to extract more money from the people who are already giving it a lot of money because it feels kind of empty like mm-hmm. your your goal should be to expand your market and to make the great products that make people want to enter your ecosystem and then once they're there yes they're going to give you money and that's great and you could argue that apple's been bad at this historically and they've finally gotten good at extracting more revenue from people i see the bills that i get from apple on an ongoing basis for icloud for apple music like i you know that's that's all good just at the end of the day you got you still got to make good iPhones you still got to make good iPads and i think they are but I do see how this gets distorted when people talk about the services revenue. It gets I, I worry that some people kinda lose the lose the bigger picture of what Apple is at its core. Mm-hmm.
0: So all of this uh, led to the stock market being very excited. And uh, on August the 2nd at 1148 Eastern time, Apple became the first ever American company to hit a market cap of one trillion U.S. dollars is the second company to do this in history. Um, So a lot of people thought they were the first. But in 2007, Um, Petro China, which I believe is like an oil company, they hit one bill, one trillion. Um, they, they did that in 2007, very briefly, but so they're not the first company ever to do this. Um, but Apple have done it. And the thing I think that will be different for Apple is they will do it a bunch. So they just dropped lower, but my expectation would be come Q4, they will be very comfortably, um, in their one trillion mark for a lot of time. You know, once we get a new iPhone, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so this has happened, you know, which is, it's a big deal. It's a big deal for Apple. It's it's a big deal in general that this has happened. But this is going to become more normal. Apple, uh, Amazon is getting very close now. They're in like the 900 yeah. million range. So I think over yeah, the next Alphabet few years. Yeah, and Alphabet will get there too. Yeah, so. Alphabet's going to get there. Um, for a reason that we'll get to in a moment, I was looking up a bunch of this stuff today and a lot of companies are trending towards this trillion dollar
1: uh, market cap. Right. Um, I did see a funny thing where somebody looked at the the price per earnings ratio for these companies because Apple traditionally has very low price per earnings, which means that uh, to a lot of people, that means that it's undervalued. Mm-hmm. And the the stat that I really liked is if Apple traded it at Google's price per earnings ratio, it would be worth 3 trillion. <laughs> so Holy moly. Some there are a lot of people out there who say Apple is really it's funny, you know, that, that being at a trillion in value, there are a lot of people who think Apple is severely undervalued by uh by an investment community that doesn't really understand Apple's business very well. But Apple's always been like that. Apple's always been a controversial company and now is no different. Yep. So there you go. Trillion. Dollars
0: and interesting earnings. All of this, though, Jason, led me to our summer of fun topic today. Um, And so after this break, me and you are going to play with $243 billion. How does that sound?
1: Money, 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 money. (laughs) Let's do it.
0: Today's show is brought to you by our friends at Pingdom, the company who offer uptime monitoring and web performance management. You are more familiar with Pingdom than you may know because they help keep some of your favorite sites online. And the way that they do this is by monitoring Performance. So you give Pingdom the URL that you want to monitor, then they use their 70 global test servers to emulate visits to your site, checking its availability as often as every Minute. They will monitor the performance of your server, your database, your website, no matter how big your site is. Whether it's just one person running a website or a store, or maybe it's a complete infrastructure. Pingdom can monitor all of it. They can also look at many different parts. Websites are very sophisticated now. There's lots of little things going on, whether it's a contact form or an e-commerce checkout or login pages. Pingdom can monitor all of these functions independently and let you know if one of these key interactions has fallen down as opposed to just your entire website website. All Pingdom need is that URL and they'll take care of the rest and they will alert you in any way that you ask them to when you sign up so you can find you know they have many different ways push notifications emails text messages they can let you know however you want to know when something goes wrong go to pingdom.com slash relay right now and you'll get a 14 day free trial with no credit card required then when you sign up use the code upgrade at checkout to get a huge 30 percent off your first invoice our thanks to pingdom for their support of this show and relay fm so here we go jason Let's, summer play, fun. let's play a Summer of Fun game today. Okay. You were put in charge of acquisitions at Apple, and you are told you can spend as much as you want of the $243 billion that Apple has as cash on
1: hand. What companies do you buy, and why? Okay. Uh, how how are we doing this? Are we doing it? Are we are we buying these things together? Are we doing this as a draft? Are we just compiling separate lists? What what's the No, uh, I know, plan here?
0: I know you love drafts, so I thought we could make it. We can make it very simple. We could just go through, pick a few companies, and we could just do it in draft, kind of in draft style. You pick one, I pick one. So sort of takes. T- I think I think you mean taking turns. Sure, but i will call turns. it a draft because I know you like it. I, I I do. Why don't you go first? All right, okay. Uh, I'm gonna go with Valve. Now, oh, interesting. Valve have an approximate uh, market value, a kind of a, a valuation. So what, what I did today was I went through and looked at a bunch of companies. So I threw some options in our document that we could pick from, but we can pick from anyone. And I'll check if it's possible. And I looked at market caps and I looked at approximate valuations where a company isn't publicly traded and just made sure it was kind of within the realm of this 243. It was purchasable, basically. So... You say Valve, right? Valve make video games. They make some of the most popular video games in the world. They also own Steam, the most popular gaming marketplace in the world. The reason I think that Valve would be an interesting fit for Apple is, one, the games, right? Apple have lots of platforms with games, and it would be great for them to have some interesting parties available to them. They also make one of, if not the best, uh, VR headsets available today in the Vive, which, you know, that is technology. It is becoming more and more important, especially if you think about AR as well. Companies that know VR know how to do AR. They know how to make hardware that goes on your face. Valve know how to do that. They know how to use sensors. They know all that stuff. They know how to do a good marketplace. All All of that talent could be used to help make the App Store even better. Valve know and have their hands in a bunch of pies that Apple could also use some help in so I think that they would be an interesting buy for maybe not that much money you know like I think if that if that valuation is even close to like 10 billion, that is really worth it for them if, if, if Apple wanted to do it. I think the talent that they could get from valve would be super super useful to them so that's who I would
1: go with first. I think that's a good pick. One of the items on my list that I I won't pick now, but because I think you kind of covered it when you said that they've got the VR headset is I have a bunch of things that what I want to pick is like a collection of little companies yeah. in an area. Mm-hmm. And so I had on my list a bunch of little AR VR companies. Now mm-hmm. Valve is not little, but like that would have been a pick is find me five companies that are working on AR and VR stuff because I know that they're... That's what Apple is buying, right? That's the kind of stuff Apple buys is they spend $100 million here and they spend $50 million here and they spend $200 right. million here for these smaller companies that nobody's ever heard of that are building a certain kind of tech that isn't a place they want to go. And they do that. We, If you remember back to when they bought PA Semi, which basically started them on their chip-making business that they are so... It's such an important part of their strategy now. Um, that was one of those... That was one of those things. And that's why I'm going to go next with uh, whatever chip companies they can find. I don't know what the price is. It's probably, you know, the bottom of the bag of chips. Where it's like little oh. crumbs. That's what I'm talking about. Little, well, just
0: the. I did have in there, Jason. If you wanted to spend basically all of your money, Intel are currently just valued buy at 227 <laughs> billion. So Apple, yeah. if they wanted to, could roll in and just buy Intel. Yeah. I looked to ARM, could just buy but Intel. SoftBank bought ARM, and Apple can't buy mm. a SoftBank. <laughs> so
1: you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's it's true um yeah i i don't think they need to buy arm because ARM holdings like they have the license and yeah i think that's all they really need um so i'm just gonna say chip companies which i know is boring but like they keep doing this they keep buying like is there a company that has a new you know thing that they're doing they're they're full of talent and they have a new you know uh cellular radio that they're working on that's like i mean i guess they could just what does Qualcomm cost? I guess I could just buy Qualcomm, but I don't think they want to do that. I think what they want to do is find or Intel. They want to buy small companies and I'll say I'm gonna I'm gonna create a fund and I'm gonna do my research, which will require more research than I than we can do for this show, to find some of the brightest lights in uh in chips and buy them because Apple wants to be, I think Apple wants to be the best chip maker in the world and have it all be limited to their products. And uh, they've done a pretty good job so far and they will continue mm-hmm. to do that. Um, so even though that's kind of a boring generic answer, I think that that's actually what's happening and that there are people at Apple who that's their entire job is to analyze who's out there for them to acquire in in the, the microprocessor area. And I, I endorse this plan. You
0: could buy Taiwan Semiconductor for $205 billion if you wanted to.
1: Well, but maybe, maybe. But again, I'll, that's I'll all of your money. That's there. all of your
0: money. Don't spend all of your money yet. Um, all right, next one. Now, I'm, th- I'm going to go entertainment here, right? And so there's a couple of players, and, you know, I guess, I guess. So Apple could buy Disney, right? but right now <laughs> disney feels like a veritable minefield as a as a company to buy uh-huh. um i would maybe go with the super obvious one and say netflix they could pick up okay. netflix for probably about 150 billion dollars you know there people have said apple should buy netflix for a long time because there is a lot of really valid reasons for apple to buy netflix right like Netflix, no technology, and they have some really excellent shows. There is a good good fit there for Apple's potential future in entertainment. Netflix is probably the company that makes the most sense. They could also pick up Hulu from Disney to untie that mess, but they're probably not going to be left with much content. From right. Hulu. What what content will they have there? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right. right. So I would say if, you know if they want to pick up a streaming service, Netflix is the only one that makes if they well if Apple wants to buy an entertainment an established entertainment company today, Netflix is probably the best bet for them.
1: All right. I uh, my next pick is going to be every small streaming service. <laughs> Okay, so, uh, <laughs> Crackle, Tubi, Shout Factory, Warner Archives. No, that they're owned by they're owned by AT and We're not going to get them. the The horror streaming service, um, the uh, Acorn TV. Maybe take a run at BritBox as well. Um, all small streaming what services. About, what about a company?
0: Something like the UFC or the WWE or something like that. Would that would you think that would be interesting in any way? It's a lot of footage, it's
1: a lot of content. I got I got to say it feels that feels more like a Disney buy. If I were Disney, I'd be interested in that because yeah. there's there's it's in the more broad entertainment, right? Including mm-hmm. the live entertainment and all of that. Whereas I think Apple's going to be less interested in that. But one of the thoughts that I've had about Apple building its streaming services, why don't they buy All of the little specialty streaming services that are not already inside, like Warner Archive, like uh, Crunchyroll, Crunchyroll, right? And I don't know who owns all of these things and whether they'd be willing to sell. Although you know, I think our premise here is that Apple's going to make them an offer that they can't refuse. But uh, that's what I would say is my is my next purchase. Is I'm gonna I'm going to roll all of that content and all of those deals into the launch of Apple TV. And give myself, you know, that much more catalog content. My catalog is now the deals made by all of these other things. So, like all the all the British shows will now be yeah. on Apple TV, yeah. and you get them there. So let's say that that's a billion.
0: Let's just say, just for whatever. We need to give you a chip companies number. Let's say twenty billion for chip companies. We just need okay. to make Thank sure you. you're not going over your. Uh, over your sure. budget, I'm,
1: I'm, I'm bargain shopping so far. So. You are.
0: I'm at 160 billion, so I'm going to make this my last pick, which means you know I've got less than 100 oh, wow. uh, billion to spend at this point. Or we could keep going. We could, we could see. Uh, maybe yeah, we'll I, see. I'm going to keep. I'm going to keep spending money. Yeah. All right. I then got then I've gotta to be. got to be careful here then, because I could. If I was going to go for a hundred, we well, can just stop. You, you go you, for. No, no, no. I'm you, not going to stop. Do. I'm going to. I'm going to get some more here. Uh, let's go with. Dropbox. Dropbox are valued... Uh, well, their market cap is $11.5 billion right now. Yep. Dropbox know what they're doing. All right. Like, they they have file stuff just locked down. Um, it is consistently reliable. It They know what they're doing. It is a company full of incredibly smart people in services. You know, but like they know how to make services that stay in sync, probably better than anybody else. So, and again, right? So, like Rick Allen in the chat room has said, didn't they try to buy Dropbox once? Yeah, they did. Yeah, Steve Jobs tried, right? But that was an acquisition. Dropbox is a publicly traded company now, so they could just <laughs> buy it all, right? Like, what is that called? Mm-hmm. Um, when it's what is what is there is a term for it? Right? What is the term when when you? Forcefully buy a company like against it a hostile world. takeover, hostile takeover. Right? So, any of these companies, when we're talking about market cap. Apple could perform a hostile takeover on them. And 11.5 billion, which is their current uh valuation, Apple could come in and just double it. And you know, <laughs> and it's like, All right, we'll pay you twice the amount if we would have wanted to want it that badly. But I think that there's a you know in the same way for valve, right? Like you, you could potentially be buying a lot of really talented engineering talent and patents and te- underlying technology that could be rolled into the stuff that you currently do for what is a sliver of your cash on hand.
1: So I'm gonna go with Dropbox now. So um, the two guys who run Apple's TV organization, Zach van Amberg and Jamie Rulicht, uh were hired away from Sony Entertainment. Mm-hmm. and although we think of sony as an electronics company and it is although you know it is not what it what it was i'm going to i'm going to throw out there for 70 billion we're going to pick up sony maybe we'll sell off some of the electronics stuff but uh, i'm going to pick up sony because we get all of their movie studios it's good uh, sony's good and all their content and uh, those guys already essentially you know they know the lay of the land over there and that makes apple a more powerful movie studio that gives them their own studio arm And, uh, you know, and the people there are no strangers to being an entertainment uh, set of people inside what is essentially a technology company. So they'll uh, go with the flow and they'll probably be more enthusiastic about being at uh, Apple than at Sony. So I'm going to I'm going to put that down. Put down Sony right there.
0: I'm going to go very obvious again.
1: Uh, Do it. at Fifty nine
0: billion dollars Tesla.
1: Yeah, I, I thought about that one. That was on my list. I mean that, that's not a I mean you wanna so you wanna change the world in terms of car technology. There's somebody who's already out there trying it. Um battery maybe, technology, right? You know, they're yeah, clearly doing some yeah. cool stuff with batteries, and I bet they
0: have some really smart people that know batteries, and wouldn't it be great for Apple to have even more smart people that know batteries? All the sensor stuff, all right. the self-driving stuff, production line stuff, and you know, I, I think Tesla would again, same with Netflix. Countless articles have been written about why apple should buy tesla and for 60 billion you know i'm i'm gonna go with it i'm gonna say let's go for tesla
1: all right that's uh i i accept that i think that would be an interesting match and you know does apple want to own a a car factory but at the same time i said not too long ago does apple want to you know, be in the business of commissioning TV shows? And uh, the answer mm-hmm. is yes. <laughs> so I think Apple wants to be in any business that they think there's potential in. And they do think that the car business has potential. Um, sometimes I wonder with Tesla's valuation, um, and this is a separate show, but like, I, I, sometimes I wonder if people are hanging around Tesla waiting for it to implode so that they can scoop it up for cheap. The car companies are, but, for sure. Yeah. They hope yeah. but... But at that, I mean, but Apple could do it if they thought, that, well, I think the challenge there is Elon Musk, right? And like, how much of this is Elon Musk? And if you take him out of the equation, um, then is it worth what it, what is worth with him there? Yeah. But, um, and and, and you maybe.
0: Know, this is, this is a conversation for somewhere else, but Tesla with Elon Musk is also potentially a problem today, right? Like, you know, cause he is. It's true. He is an interesting, he, difficult he's a problematic guy. individual.
1: The and... chat room really wants me to pick SpaceX so that Apple can start shooting rockets off. I'm not going to do that. That doesn't make any sense. I, I am going. <laughs> I don't get that. I, one at the I actually am. I'm going to spend uh, about $3 billion on Yelp. Mm, good one. Sort of like how, you know, I, I feel like, again, is that really directly attached to Apple's business? Uh, I mean, it's the data source inside Apple Maps. So I say yes, but I also think it's just one of those things where there are two kinds of acquisitions. There are the kinds of acquisitions you do because you want it, and there are the kinds of acquisitions you do because you don't want your competitors to own it. And I think Yelp is public, and I think they are worth about $3 billion. So I'm just going gonna, gonna to plunk that down and say, hooray, we have Yelp. Yelp will keep running, but it will be uh, deeply interconnected, even more so with Apple's uh, data sources and part of the Apple Maps group. Tim Cook's Apple
0: loves enterprise and has seen mm-hmm. has done a lot in the enterprise right to to, to they have right is this They're part of it.
1: star trek las vegas is this, yeah. this going to be yeah, part yeah. of that
0: star trek Las Vegas? <laughs> oh that's gonna i'm never gonna live that one down i oh, know it's just <laughs> nope. i'm dreading it i'm dreading it look all i saw i don't understand star trek right and i just saw a bunch of images and it said star trek las vegas behind yeah. a picture of of uh Captain Picard. So I don't know what to do, yeah. right? Like, what am I supposed okay. to? What am I supposed to know? All right. So Apple loves Apple loves the the Enterprise is what you're saying. Apple loves the Enterprise. So they'll buy the Enterprise's darling at five point one billion dollars, which is roughly their current valuation, which is Slack. You just ah. it, it, you buy Slack and you get you open yourself a lot more doors. And again, it's a company that does some really interesting stuff. So why not pick them up and see what else you can do? That that's what I'm going to go with Slack. And I'm running out of money fast. I don't have a lot of money left.
1: I got a lot of money left over. You got a lot of money left. Um, Okay, so here's my next pick. For approximately, let's say $3 billion, uh, you've just seen what I've typed in our document. I'm going to buy Digital First Media, which publishes about 40 newspapers in the United States. I'm going to buy the New York Times. I'm going to buy Sports Illustrated, Time, Fortune, and Money from uh, from Meredith Publishing, which has put them on the market for a few hundred million. I'm going to buy McClatchy newspaper chain for about seventy eight million. And follow me here. Um, Apple made that uh, deal with uh, what Next Issue Media about, like to buttress um, Apple News. Let's just go all the way. Apple is buying a whole bunch of newspapers and magazines, and they are going to do that so that they can increase reading in the Apple News platform and support journalism around at least the united states and maybe other places so uh you know jeff bezos already owns the washington post there are other kind of rich benefactors who have bought other things i'm gonna say strategically apple seems to be heading down a path where they can just buy a whole bunch of available newspapers and magazines and operate them and make their content flow best into uh apple news so they're gonna make apple news like apple tv is all the tv apple news is gonna be all the news I would be pretty uncomfortable with
0: that prospect, but yes, sure. <laughs> I don't like the idea of one company owning so much, but
1: the tech cover. Well, I mean, here's the thing, Mike. One company companies already own this much. That's it's true. just that's true. Not companies you've heard of. <laughs> yeah, that's so- very true. You know that's the, I'm just going to throw that out there. I mean am I, am I serious? Probably not, but uh, they could do it. it. would be it would be nothing, and they would have uh, probably be a better owner for all of those news organizations, and you could end up with a you know a, a thing that can cover local and national and world news uh, between the local papers and something like the New York Times and have uh, you know that roll out great on Apple devices and other devices too. so yeah, all right, I'm going to use the last of my money to pick up Sonos. That's a good one.
0: Yeah, two reasons. One, I feel a little bit sorry for Sonos. I think they're a company with really interesting <laughs> technology that, that will eventually get pushed out of this market. Like, almost a market that they created, you know? Like, the idea of these devices that play media and can be connected and, you know, like all of that multi-room stuff, which is all stuff that, I mean, I, I honestly don't know who or why it isn't patented, right? Like, th- that is a a confusing thing to me. Um it really felt like Sonos was the first company to have these boxes that could talk to each other and play music. But now it just seems like a feature of other things, you know, it reminds me of all those, uh, picture services, right? You know, which is now just a feature of, of operating systems. So Sonos, they're, they're about 970 million, um, their market cap right now. I think, I think it would be, you know, I would pick them up for the technology, for the talent again, Um, and also to have a brand like Beats, you know, like another brand. It's Airplay 2 only now, really high-end stuff, multi-room, but also on the lower end too. You can go pick up a Sonos for $100 or whatever, right? So your HomePod brand can be separate, and you can also have another brand like Apple owns Beats. That's my last purchase. I think that's a pretty reasonable thing. I'm, for
1: my last purchase, I've got a lot of money left over. That's fine. I'll keep you the have. cash around for a rainy day. <laughs> I so. uh, but I will I will buy... Uh, well, you took some of my big ticket items there and mm-hmm. I'm not going to take them now. So I, I'm going to uh, spend $4 billion to attempt to take over Roku because I do think that that would be a, a, an interesting purchase and that Apple getting involved in their deals with TV manufacturers and, and doing that, I don't think that would actually be approved because that would be a major competitor that Apple oh, would yeah. be eliminating.
0: Okay, we, we have to just assume that none of this conversation has even touched... Um,
1: uh, on, on whether regulators would yeah, allow it? <laughs> yeah, because basically
0: <laughs> a large portion of all of these would not. Um, but let's just assume that this is... Apple was not bothered to to go to the yeah to we're just lawyers we're yet. just
1: spitballing here that they the lawyers are going to stop most of our transactions from happening certainly but which I, is I'll very throw normal Roku for there. my daily life yeah <laughs> sure. You you know, check the have everything checked here. by a lawyer mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's the. Uh, Anyway, so Roku, because of what I said before, I think it's interesting that they uh, have built this platform that's in TVs. And I think it would be an interesting sort of feeding into what they're doing with Apple TV and maybe making better deals. And, uh, you know, I've got like $120 burn uh, burning a hole in my pocket, so why not spend $4 billion on on Roku? But I generally, I'm going to just keep the rest around for scooping up more AR and VR companies and more chimp companies uh, as we go. All right, Jason Snell.
0: Before we wrap up today, let's
1: knock off a couple of hashtag Ask Upgrade questions. Good idea. Yeah, I don't want to skip another week. That that would no. be. We can't have two weeks no without way. Ask Upgrade. That would not be fun. And this no is the summer fun. So, All yes. fair.
0: Uh, so the first one comes from Bob. Bob says, with the announcement of a full version of Photoshop for iPad, probably coming more definitely coming in the future, could potentially mean a full version of Audition for the iPad is eventually written. If this was to occur, would you consider moving to Audition for podcasting because it could mean that you would be
1: able to do more
0: on your iPad? Jason?
1: Uh, no, because I already have an app that is fantastic for editing uh, podcasts on my iPad, which is uh, Ferrite. Mm-hmm from Wuji juice mm-hmm. and it's, uh, it's like 20 bucks. So, uh, no, also because it, part of the benefit would be if I used audition on the, on the desktop, I might consider that, but I don't. And I'm not really interested in learning audition and replacing logic with audition. I'm, I've really optimized audition for my work or, or uh, uh, logic for my workflow. I'm not sure that audition would really gain me enough to spend all of the time learning a new workflow and then paying, uh, you know, an annual fee to Adobe for that versus the, you know, buy a copy occasionally of a new version of Logic on the Mac. Um, I'm more excited about the idea that next year there might be a Mac version of Ferrite that could exist uh, if Apple continues on with its plans to bring iOS apps to the Mac. I would consider it um, because I want to
0: only learn and use one app if I'm going to do iPad editing. Right. So, but this is the mm-hmm. same thing, right? Like if, if would you bring ferrite to the Mac, then maybe I'll switch to that. Right. Like one of the reasons that I haven't really delved into ferrite very much other than just of kind of like some tinkering around is I'm not really keen on learning something that can only be used in one place for audio production. Right. Like if I'm going to go back to the drawing board in some senses and learn something again. Um, I, if I'm going to do that, I want it to give me additional benefit. And that additional benefit for me would be to be able to use the same piece of software everywhere. So if a company, any company can do that effectively and I'm not going to be losing too much, then I would do it. And if it's uh, if it's Adobe, great, because I do already use Audition for, for some tasks as we spoke about in our podcasting special episode 200. And I know from some testing that Stephen did that you can replace Audition uh, like logic of audition and get basically everything, right? So, uh, yeah, I would consider it. But if, if Bob was also asking, would I consider it if uh, Ferrite made its way to the Mac, the answer would also be yes. So, so yes, right. I, I'm i not going to bother learning anything new until something is truly cross-platform, is, is in essence uh, where I feel about this right now, because I'm not that keen on taking all of that time uh, out of my working life to learn something that can only be used in one place today. Uh, Lee has uh, written in, in regards to episode 200. So the iPad episode is inspiring me to use my iPad more. As someone who works at a traditional Microsoft-centric company, um, I was surprised by, with your minimal mention of the Microsoft iPad apps and Office 365. For you, is it cost, bad history of Microsoft, or that other apps are better for you? Um, I think we did actually gloss over it very quickly, right? That, but we both yeah. use um, Office iPad
1: apps, right? Yeah, like, I'm, a, I don't think I'm an we Office 365 subscriber. Same. I think didn't didn't I, I? I think maybe that was on my episode of Canvas, but like the Google like spreadsheets app, the Sheets app is so much worse than Excel. Excel is so good. Mm-hmm. The Microsoft apps on iPad are very very good. Um, I don't use them regularly because I'm not in an office environment, and when you're a solo person you're working with various people in various places, you can't count on everybody having access to Office 365. And you can count on everybody having access to Google stuff because it's free. And so that's the fact of it is... Yeah, because
0: if they don't have it, they can get it.
1: Yeah, right? and it's not going to be a problem. So if you know everybody at Relay had an Office 365 account, we might use the Office 365 tools more, but the problem there is like, okay, well, I could do that for Relay, but yeah. like if Federico doesn't have that with his collaborators for Mac Stories and I don't have it for the incomparable, then now I'm using two different tools depending on the context. And if I've got people who are in both places, we have to be like, well, wait, are we going to use this? Or are we going to use that? And it becomes a mess. And that is the truth of why lowest common denominator things like Google Sheets End up being used, even though they are um, they 're not as good. This is why um, people love the enterprise, including Apple and Captain Picard is you know you have a uh, homogeneous work environment, everybody has office, and it 's good stuff. you just have to count on everybody having it. Um, and it's overkill for a lot of what I do in terms of writing. Like, Word is not necessary because I'm just doing plain text, and Mm -hmm. Word is overkill for that. But Excel on iPad especially is uh, spectacular, and I will use Excel and Numbers on iPad way before I will use Google Sheets. I only use that for collaboration.
0: Right, so for me, um, Google, sorry, uh, Excel and Word, I use both as utility apps. There's a couple of spreadsheets that I use that only really work in Excel for for my accountant, And I use Word for when someone sends me a Word document and I need to send them a Word document back. Sometimes pages can ruin things, but Word never does. Um, The thing for me is Excel's real-time collaboration is nowhere near as good as Sheets. So even for collaboration purposes, right now 365 does not have the real-time in the way that I want it. Um, So I use these apps, but I use them for specifics. So like Office 365, one great thing for me is it is a great way. So uh with I, I have a Twitch stream uh for like a Twitch channel for a show that I do called Playing for Fun, we stream video games, right? You can go and watch it twitch.tv slash playing for fun fm, me and Tiff Arment do it. We have a show on relay FM called Playing for Fun and we stream video games on it. On the, on this Twitch stream. Now I need to do thumbnails for our YouTube channel, right? And something that's awesome for me is I have Office 365 on my PC. I can just hit the print screen button, then I can pick up the screenshot on my iPad from files to put into Pixelmator to make the thing when I upload it to YouTube. So that's a great use of 365 for me is because I can get Office I can get my 365 OneDrive, right? In the Files app. So that's a cool little utility that I have. But this is what I use my Office 365 subscription for is little utilities. I don't use the apps in any significant detail. Um, Question from Gareth. I don't know if the situation is different elsewhere, but most cell carriers in the UK allow data tethering from your phone, which you can turn on and connect to your iPad without having to look at your phone. So why spend the extra money on an LTE iPad? So I'll answer for me as someone who has an LTE iPad, which is one that I take traveling with me. It's two reasons. One, tethering from the iPhone never really works as well as I would want. It works, but sometimes I'm jumping through a bunch of hoops, turning things on and off and on and off to get it to work. But it does work most of the time. Two, I don't want to drain my my iPhone battery significantly whilst I'm traveling, right? It's one of the reasons I have the iPad, so I'm not killing the battery on the phone. Um, yep. The other is I am able to get really good deals on T-Mobile in the US. I can spend like something like $5 for five gigabytes that lasts for five months. Well, I do that twice a year. So I pay $10 a year, basically, for my service on T-Mobile. So... They're the reasons that I do it.
1: Yeah. I, uh, similarly, you've got to make sure it's turned on. It doesn't always connect reliably. Um, it, it always is more fiddly than I would like. And I did that. I tethered for a long time. and uh, But most of the time, I would just not bother because I would be um, just unhappy with having to do that. I just use my phone at that point. And then what you said about battery life is absolutely that's part of it, right? It's great. Now I'm out and about and draining both batteries simultaneously. Mm-hmm. That's not not as good. So uh, when I bought my iPad Pro, I bought the cellular model and I added it. Eventually I added it to my AT&T account. So I pay them $10 a month um, and it's just part of my data pool and it's yep. great. And I have used the cellular features a lot and it's just very nice when I'm somewhere where there's no Wi-Fi or there's bad Wi-Fi, which happens a lot. I can just flip over to cellular and it works great. So that's the reason. Like, Can you get by with tethering? You absolutely can. But uh, having a cellular iPad is way nicer if yep. you want to spend the money on that.
0: It's a simple equation, right? Traveling is frequent yep. with an iPad, get tethering. If it is an infrequent, uh, so get get an LTE one, right? If, it's, if your travel yeah. is frequent, get an LTE. If it's infrequent, just tether, right? Yep. Last question today, Corey asks, do you think we will ever get Siri shortcuts on the Mac? I'm not that good of Apple Script and Automator and Siri shortcuts is much more user-friendly. I say don't hold out. I, maybe one day, right? Especially when uh, Project Sneak Peek is in
1: full effect,
0: you know, <laughs> there is more possibility of it. But I no. wouldn't
1: hold out for it. That's that's my um, that's my feeling too. Is that eventually, if this sneak peek stuff bringing iOS apps to Mac happens and takes off, I think you will see it because it will be able to access the same sort of things that series shortcuts can access on iOS, but it's going to be a while because Automator and Apple Script are uh, just a different set of technologies from what's going on there. I'd love to see an updated version of Automator that gets renamed shortcuts that has a simple interface and that can do both mm-hmm. the Macy Ooh, stuff yeah. and use those apps. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And if we're lucky, that's what we'll get next year or the year after is a new version of Automator that feels more like the Shortcuts app and maybe gets its name, but still has some of the power of Automator in it, as well as everything that's going on with Shortcuts to control those apps. Because if you think about it, there are a lot of ways that you can control traditional Mac apps today in Automator. They could add in for apps that are coming from iOS, the commands that Shortcuts uses and put them together. And it should work. Like it should work. It's it, even, it shouldn't even necessarily look different. Even you know, the, even if it's two different methods behind the scenes. So they could do it. I would not bet for that being a 2019 thing, but they could do it. And I hope that that's actually the ultimate goal of user automation on the Mac is shortcuts app and Siri shortcuts. But I think it's going to take a while. And that transition, uh, bringing all those other, uh, apps from ios over is going to have to happen first all right that's it for this week's episode
0: of upgrade Woo! uh you can always send in questions to us for the end of the show with the hashtag ask upgrade uh this is of course a bumper episode in the summer of fun Ooh, um, summer of fun and um, if you want to find more about this episode go to relay.fm upgrade slash 205 Um, I will say, just very quickly, if you're looking for something kind of fun and interesting to read, I'm going to put a link in the show notes to a Twitter thread that I've been engaged in over the last few days. (laughs) Where a guy called Rob is taking me on a tax adventure. It is wild, and is, I don't know how long it's going to last... Uh, but I am on a Twitter text adventure right now, which came from a, an AMA I was doing whilst getting an X-ray in the hospital. So uh, everything's fine, just a bad sprain, as I mentioned earlier. So just go and read it. I have no idea yeah. what, <laughs> but it's fun. It's a lot of fun. So It'll it will
1: also whet your appetite for the forthcoming mm-hmm. member special. We're going to be upgrade slash cortex. Yeah, yeah.
0: More in the next couple of weeks on that. But yes, mm-hmm. if you have been a Relay FM member, we have done another text adventure. Might be my favorite ever. So we'll to check that out soon. Um, you can follow uh, Jason online. He is at Snell, J-S-N-E-L-L on Twitter. I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. Go to sixcolors.com for Jason's work. And we both produce many shows um, over at Relay.fm and the TheIncomparable.com as well. Thanks again to our sponsors, Casper, Inboard Technology, and Pingdom. And we'll be back next time. Until then, say goodbye, Jason Snell. Goodbye, everybody.